So we're into our second week this week on our, our new series on prayer. We're looking at the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray thousands of years ago. And we've been breaking it down bit by bit, and we're going to go through it over the next couple of weeks. Because we don't want this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, to simply be something that we just recite in church. We want it to be words that transform our prayer life and ultimately transform our world because we understand what they really mean and we understand how powerful praying these words can actually be. Last week, Phil introduced us to the text from Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 8, and he reminded us of who we're praying to, our Father, which reminds us about our position in relationship with God. Our Father who is in heaven, who's in all that has been created and is being created and that we can go to him with absolutely everything. This prayer from the very beginning is primarily about our relationship with God and where we sit in that relationship and it exists because of who we are. We're God's children and I'd encourage you, if you missed the message, to go back and listen online on YouTube and catch up. Because actually, it's really important that we understand our position in relationship with God as we go on to understand the next few lines in this prayer. And today, we're looking at the second phrase of the Lord's Prayer that says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you allowed to have favorite lines of this prayer? I don't know, because this is my favorite one. And we're going to look and break it down in two fairly obvious parts this morning. We're going to have a look at what it means to pray that God's kingdom would come and then that his will would be done in our lives and the lives of people around us. So first off, if we're going to pray this prayer and we're actually going to mean it, then we have to understand what the kingdom of God is. And you know, unfortunately for us, for many Christians, actually, we don't have a great deal of clarity on what the kingdom of God is. One technical phrase that I'm going to give you this morning to define the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. The range of God's effective will. So you have to imagine that everything God desires is happening in the world. The time, place, reality, when all he desires is what we experience. God's kingdom is his ideal plan for the world. And although we live in this world that's messed up and confusing and sometimes so different to the kingdom of God, we do get glimpses of his kingdom here on earth. We see these glimmers of hope, this taste of what's to come in our reality. Perhaps in the midst of your day-to-day -day life, you might see something beautiful Maybe somebody being kind to someone else. Maybe it's one of those moments where you're just overwhelmed with thankfulness for a friendship or for something that God has given you. See, the kingdom of God, it's not some far-off mystical place that we some, someday get to rest in. The kingdom of God is his ideal plan for the world and it is unfolding all around us. There should be an overlapping, in a sense, of heaven and earth and the words of this prayer are asking God for that to be so. And you know, one of Jesus' favourite topics to speak on in Scripture is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is re continually referring to this king kingdom over 100 times in Scripture. He talks about it more than he speaks about love, more than he speaks about peace, more than he speaks about money. 
He was continually describing to people what the kingdom of God was supposed to be look like. He was helping people grasp and understand that the kingdom of God was this way out different place and had totally different values to the values of the world. The kingdom of God, it wasn't the kingdom that the Jews were thinking, that they were expecting. Instead of this powerful military type kingdom that the Jews thought that God was going to bring, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it described a kingdom of love, a kingdom of meekness, a kingdom of peace. See, everywhere on earth that Christ visited, he bought little pieces of the kingdom along with him. And even though mankind ultimately killed him, his death created this permanent connection for us, this access point between heaven and earth. And we have to take note of this today, and this is important, that kingdoms are power structures. They're an area of authority. So when Jesus spoke of the kingdom of heaven, he was speaking of of the kingdom's present power and work. When Jesus told these stories that begin with similes, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like, he was showing his culture at that time what it looked like when heaven was in control. For Jesus, this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God, it was about God's will being done on earth. So this morning, if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, we're just going to take a look at a few examples of where Jesus lifted up the message of God's kingdom, where he described this kingdom of God to people in sometimes really peculiar ways, but in ways that revealed a kingdom that was very, very different to what the people were expecting. In Matthew 13, 31 to 32, Jesus gives us the example of the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. What Jesus is trying to say is, despite its appearance, the kingdom of heaven is going to grow and it's going to become great. This grain, a mustard seed, was this tiny little seed but it's still a seed and therefore it has in it a disposition to grow. He follows on in verse 33 saying that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast in bread. He says the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman uses in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So Jesus is saying that just as the yeast is worked through the dough and it affects how the bread is made, so the kingdom of God is worked in and through the world and it will affect change. In verse 44, he goes on to give the example of it being like treasure in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, And he sold everything that he owned to get enough money to buy the field. See, this kingdom that God presents us with, it's valuable. And it's worth sacrificing everything for. And then finally, in this little part of scripture, Jesus says, it's like fishing nets in verses 47 to 48. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto shore, sat down and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw away the bad ones. 
You know, it's the separation of those who believe or those who don't or those who are hypocritical. But actually, it kind of reminds us that it's not our duty to judge. It's God's. He's the ruler of the kingdom. See, God's kingdom, as Jesus described it, it's completely upside down compared to the world. It's growing, it affects change, people sacrifice all for it. It's not a kingdom of material wealth, but of peace and meekness and kindness and the pure in heart. That's what God's kingdom looks like. And you know, as we pray this prayer, the line of the prayer is actually twofold. Because we're called to pray for God's will to be done and his will will be done. We're called to pray for his kingdom to come, but we're also called or expected to do our part in bringing kingdom transformation in the world. See, I love when we look at these set of parables that Jesus used to paint a picture of the kingdom, that we see that people are actually involved in them. Did you notice that? In each one, we notice, first off, the man took the seed and he sowed it. The woman took the yeast and she mixed it into the dough. The man took the, found the treasure in the field. And we don't really know about the nets, but it's highly likely, I'm guessing, that some fishermen threw those nets out. God's calling his people to join him in advancing his kingdom work in the world, in the here and now. He wants people to be partnering with him to bring his kingdom to earth. And you know, I've had the privilege over the last term or so to be part of our Salvo 101 classes or our soldiership classes, if you like. We've had this fantastic group of um, our young people, some of our youth. They've got so many questions, but it's been amazing. And just last week, we wrapped up those classes and we took a look at the lifestyle commitments that go along with the soldiers' covenant, the therefore statements, if you like. And many of you who have made a commitment Um, have made a commitment to live by this statement. I'll make the values of the kingdom of God and not the values of the world the standard for my life. Many of you have made that commitment. And that's one of the ways that many of you play a role in bringing God's kingdom to earth. See, by living by kingdom values, we live differently to the people in this world. And slowly, by people praying this prayer and living it out, we see glimpses of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. See, if we're going to be successful in praying that God's kingdom would come and working in the power of his kingdom, we have to be ready to resist the lures of other false kingdoms, and they exist in our world We have to be continually measuring our values against the kingdom of God. Because if we don't, we'll continue bit by bit to measure our values by the values of the world. And so I want to encourage you over the next few weeks as we continue this series and we sort of knuckle down into the different lines of the prayer to be studying and praying this prayer daily. And maybe it would be helpful this week as we look at this line in the prayer for you to pray a little more specifically. Perhaps this week you could pray that the kingdom of God would come in your life. Perhaps you could pray that the kingdom of God would come in our church and that the kingdom of God would come in our community. To ask yourself, what does it actually look like? God's ideal picture in these three areas. Perhaps you need help 
identifying where he's already at work, because that's important too. And maybe for many of us, we need him to reveal to us how we can play a more significant role in bringing his kingdom to earth in some of these areas. And you know, I think that one of the best parts about the kingdom is that the kingdom that we are promised is unshakable. I love the description Hebrews 12 gives us of an unshakable kingdom. And when I think about this image, what comes to my mind is my collection of snow globes. If um, anyone knows anything about me, you'll know that I have a pretty big collection of snow globes. And you know, it's, it's not the tacky kind that you get from a souvenir shop, right? I got a specific kind that I like. And um, they're quite intricate in the details, and I bought one along to show you this morning. This one I bought back from Disneyland the first time I visited there, and it hasn't got God's kingdom inside, but it's got Magic Kingdom, so that's kind of close. And um, they, they sing. It's pretty cool. Would you like to hear it? I'll put it up to my mic. Can you hear it? It's playing When You Wish Upon a Star. Now that's going to keep playing. That's going to distract me. That's a bit annoying. But you know... The other thing that I like about snow globes is that I can shake it and I can shake it up and the glitter goes everywhere. This is actually a glitter globe, not a snow globe, but that's okay. And the stuff on the inside can be shaking around, but actually the stuff that's stuck there, that's in the middle, it doesn't move. I can shake this up real, real hard and it stays the same. What's glued to the foundation sticks. And I don't know if this is weird or not, but I kind of want my life to be like that. I want my foundations to be set so that no matter what is going on in my world, I can stay planted. I remain firm and I remain solid. And I think that this is the kind of image that the writer is depicting in Hebrews 12, verses 26 to 29, The earth was rocked at the sound of his voice from the mountain, but now he has promised. Once and for all, I will not only shake the systems of this world, but also the unseen powers in the heavenly realm. Now this phrase, once and for all, clearly indicates the final removal of all things that are shaking. That is the old order so that only what is unshakable will remain. Since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe, for our God is a holy, devouring fire. See, as Christians, we have a kingdom which has already been given to us, and our lives in Christ are unshakable. And you know, there is a stability that's found when we're planted in kingdom living. The things of the kingdom of God are what will remain. So I don't know about you, but that means that I want to spend my life investing into things of the kingdom, having kingdom values, helping bring God's kingdom to earth. So we pray this first part this morning, that God's kingdom would come. And then we move on to pray that his will would be done. Before we move on to asking for our needs, we ultimately state that above all else, we want God's will to be done in our lives. And I think it's important to note that this part of the prayer happens early on. 
think it gives us a good way of structuring our prayer life because it encourages us to pray his agenda first. To pray his agenda first. One of the most important, but perhaps the hardest things we can learn to pray is your will, not mine be done. I want what you want, God, more than what I want. And we learn to pray this prayer, not just from the Lord's Prayer that that Jesus taught his disciples, but actually we learn it from Jesus in his example in the Garden of Gethsemane. As Phil read to us earlier, and if you want to look it up, it's found in Matthew 23, 36 to 42. But basically, Jesus is nearing his time of death. He knows what's going to happen to him. And he went away to spend some time in prayer. And Jesus was overwhelmed by the grief of what was to come. He was about to take on the punishment of all sin from all people, from all time. And he's basically saying in this moment, you know, I feel so awful that I want to die. And Jesus prays. And he ultimately prays for what he wants. He asks God to take away the burden he knew that he had to carry. But then ultimately, in the ultimate act of submission, he says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And twice we read in this scripture that he asks that his cup be taken from him. But twice he also asks that God's will would be done. And I wonder when we pray, do we really sincerely pray his agenda first? You know, I was challenged to ask myself that week, that that question this week. You know, do I really, really mean it when I pray the words, your will be done? I so want that to be the case in my life. But you know what? So often in my life, I want my will to be done. I want God to do what I think is best. And it's not always easy to let go of that and to live instead in submission to his will. But as I pray this prayer each day, And as I understand it more completely, I think it does start to sink in. It challenges me, at least. It starts that challenge for me to want his will to be done in my life. See, if we pray God's agenda first, it eventually transforms our prayer life. It changes the way that we pray all the time. Because ultimately, if what we want is that God's will be done, our prayers are prayed from a different perspective. And as my prayer my perspective on prayer, I suppose, has begun to shift under the past couple of years. I've realized that praying your will to be done helps me seek God's priorities over my own. See, the more I pray your will be done, the more I actually want his will to be done. The more aware I am of what his kingdom looks like and the more I want to be involved in its coming. I love the verse from Matthew 6:33 that tells us but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It's a great verse to live our life by to seek first his kingdom. But you know I thought this is a little bit hard to understand. We sometimes say that line as a bit of a throwaway line and we don't really understand what it means. But have a listen to how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message translation. He says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provision. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. 
See, seeking God's priorities first means actually spending time with him to figure that out. It means being connected to the word of God. You can't pray that God's will would be done if you don't really know who God is. It means living in community with other believers. It means applying the teaching of the kingdom, the example of Jesus to the way that we live every day. It sometimes means sacrifice for a lot of us. It sometimes means that we miss out on something that the world values because actually it's not part of the values of the kingdom of God. But when we seek God's priorities over our own, we're promised that our everyday human concerns are met. Seek first his kingdom. Seek his priorities. It's the opposite way to how so many people in our world live. But I think that that's what makes this line of the prayer so incredible. And I don't know about you, but I want to see more glimpses of the kingdom of heaven. I want to see more of God's will being done on this earth. And I believe that this prayer is just the beginning. So I hope that it ignites something in us as individuals and as a church as we begin to pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. In a little bit, we're going to sing a song that invites the Holy Spirit to come and to infiltrate our lives. But you know, it talks about God stirring something within us that reveals the wonders of heaven. It talks about those things that were spoken in Scripture unfolding now in the present. It's about his kingdom coming and it's about his will being done in and through us. And so I wonder this morning, before we sing, if we might take a moment after we've gone a little bit deeper into this next line of what this prayer is about, if we might just take a moment to stand together and to pray the Lord's Prayer together this morning before we sing. Would you like to stand and pray the Lord's Prayer this morning? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.